Dating in your not native language is a trip. I don't know if you've ever had that experience, Billy. Uh, you know, I, I I can get to the library in Spanish, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I can understand if someone's calling me mean names. But that's okay. about it. I mean, that might be the bare minimum for that being might able be to all go need. on a date. Yeah, it's hot. do you want to go to the library with me, and then I want you to choke <laughs> me and call me nasty names. That we right. can make that work. Can, I guess you can make that work. <laughs> but first, a word from our sponsors. You know you've made it in entertainment or are on your way out when you're helping dicks get and stay hard. Give your cock a natural performance boost with our sponsor, Joy Mode. No prescriptions, no drugs. It's just like a pre-workout, but for sex. Get 20% off your first order at usejoymode.com slash manwhore. Again, that's usejoymode, U-S-E-J-O-Y-M-O-D-N-E. <laughs> and use promo code MANHOR at checkout. The MANHOR podcast is sponsored by Audio Desires, an erotic audio platform dedicated to giving you the best aural sex you can have. With hundreds of sexy stories in three different languages and a sleek user-friendly design, Audio Desires is the right fit to get you in the mood. Enjoy 50% off an annual membership or 20% off a monthly membership when you use promo code MANHOR at audiodesires.com. Now let's get to the show. Welcome to the MANHOR Podcast. Shout out to the smut peddlers and dong dealers, to the titty shakers and pussy quakers. This is Billy Presida, and you're listening to the Man Whore Podcast. I'm happy you're here. I hope things are going well for you, considering, as I wave my hands around in the air, everything going on. Uh, this week on the pod, great guest. So excited about this guest. Been wanting her on for years. I've got one of the co-hosts of multi-amory, Dedeker Winston. Uh, but first, look, it's Tuesday morning as I'm recording this, so by now, I'm sure we all know that is very likely the Supreme Court is going to uh, make abortion illegal in half the country, just immediately, because of trigger laws in, I think it's like 25, 26 states, something like that. I have not gotten to read the uh, the draft opinion yet that leaked, and uh, I have uh, there more information is going to be coming out. So I'll address that in the future. I didn't want you all to think I'm just like glossing over it. I know some of you come to the show to like escape politics, and I know some of y'all want to know that we care. Pretty fucked up times, uh, but we're gonna have a show. We're gonna have some fun. We're gonna have a good time. Uh, <laughs> even though this intro has other sad shit in it. But how about something that's not sad, okay? Hey, hundreds of fan whores have joined the Champagne Room since the server launched about a year ago. And honestly, I can't believe it took me so long to get on the Discord bandwagon. The Champagne Room used to be a private Facebook group for Patreon members, but you know it works so much better now and it is so much more popular than the Facebook group ever was ever since I moved it to Discord. And I admit, Took me a long time to get on board with Discord. I'm like you. I don't like trying new platforms either. I don't want another thing beeping on my phone, but I'm barely on Facebook anymore. Discord kind of took over for that. Discord is different. Discord is fun. Oh, 
took me like one or two days to get the hang of it, but then I was all in with channels and threads and voice channels and emojis and GIFs. Ah, nitro boosting. I want to give a shout out to our moderators, Dan and Julia, for helping keep the server fun, safe, and operational. Y'all are the best. And I hope you will join me and Fanhor Nation in the champagne room with your thoughts about this week's episode or really cute pictures of your pets or that new toy you got for the kink thing. Yeah, we have a sex toy recommendations channel just for you. We got channels for all sorts of things in there. So, hey, introduce yourself today. Join the conversation at manwhorepod.com slash discord. Don't be scared. We won't bite unless you want us to. Hey. <laughs> it's been a minute since I've read a listener question, so uh, I, I got something in the inbox I wanted to share with y'all. I've gotten a version of this question before, but I th- and I think I answered that like a year or two ago. So, you know, let's revisit. Alex writes, hey, Billy, big fan of Man Whore Podcast. Great way to start an email. Uh, had a question for you. How does one go about getting involved in the play party scene in New York City if you don't immediately have any friends who are in it? I'm very interested and I've lived in NYC for seven years, but I don't currently hang out with anyone in the scene. I would appreciate any response, or if you've already addressed this on the show, maybe you could point me to an episode. Thanks, much love and respect. Alex, you might be in one of the best American cities for sex parties and group sex and all sorts of everything. There's someone close to me in my life who has also had this question, so let me here, let me share with you. Okay, being a single male that you are, uh, who I am statistically assuming only bangs ladies or mostly bangs ladies. I think the quick answer, by the way, for this is if, if you are a, if you're a gay male individual, I mean, go to a gay bar and ask around, I am sure you will get some recommendations, but just assuming you, you want to go to a play party with women, you definitely will need an invite to proper play parties as a single male. Okay. Since you don't have any friends in the scene, you'll just have to make some, you got to make some friends. That's the first step. You start off by going to events that are tangential to play parties, BDSM munches, polyamory events, adult sex ed workshops. Those are like three great places that are kind of tangential to play parties, but aren't play parties. Go there, socialize, make friends. You can find so many of these in New York on Google, Facebook, meetup.com, Eventbrite, Reddit, FetLife. FetLife is big on some of this stuff. These aren't orgies, but many of the people who attend and run these things, they go to or know about orgies. Not all of them, but especially in New York City. I mean, look, there was a Saturday where me, two different listeners, and then another friend of mine all went to four different sex parties on the same Saturday night. There are plenty of options. But go to those events, those non-sex events. Make friends. Friends tend to invite their friends to play parties, or they might vouch for you when they've gone to know you well enough when you want to apply to a certain community. One reason I like Hacienda is the quality control, that they care more about having the right people at the party than the maximum amount of people at the party. I highly recommend Hacienda and their mixers. They have a lot of non-sex mixers. During the winter months, they've been doing these like pool parties, at like an indoor heated pool, for example. No sex allowed, but most of the people who attend that pool party also go to play parties, right? So I like Hacienda's mixers, their workshops, their public events. You can, of course, uh, just go to any sex club that allows single men. I mean, there are sex clubs in New York City as well as around the country that allow single men. 
they'll typically charge you the most amount of money to enter. Uh, it won't be community driven and your success is really going to vary. You can Google places like Bowery Bliss and Caligula if they're still running and whatever else is out there. I can't speak to them as I try to avoid parties that charge a ton for single guys, uh, not because I don't want to pay more, but I think there's an entitlement attitude that comes with the surcharge, and I don't want to like go with a date to a swinger club and ha- be surrounded by men who like feel entitled to get sex or get a handful of ass, and then I got to be like more protective of my date than I normally would be. So I just prefer to go to safer places, but that is an option. My dark horse option, by the way, is keep your eyes open on Reddit for group sex events. They get posted, namely ones that have uh, have like one lucky lady looking for a bunch of dudes or couples looking for a single male. They're out there. Try sex positive apps like Field. Again, not guaranteed, but if you have one positive group sex experience and you make friends and you express you want to try more group sex, it's a backdoor way to finding yourself with a sex party invite, maybe. If you have a date, it'll certainly be easier to find yourself in group sex situations. You only need three for group sex and having a date means you only need one more person. So anyways, yeah, I would say try the mixers. Set your expectations low. Make sincere friends. Don't just make friends so you can get an orgy invite. Make sincere, make friends and see where that gets you. Or just go to Burning Man. I don't know. <laughs> Hope that helps, Alex. And if any of you want to send me your comments or questions, you can send all that over to manwhorepod at gmail.com. Glad you're a big fan of the Manhor podcast. Hope you'll join us in the champagne room. Hope you'll uh, join Fanhor Nation on Patreon and earn yourself a Fanhor appreciation moment, just like Jacob is right now. Ooh, real smooth. Slip that in there. I want to give a shout out to one of my Patreon members, Jacob. I don't know anything about him. Can't find him and search him online. So I just have to tell you, here's who I hope Jacob is. I'm just going to describe what I hope Jacob is. Um, I hope Jacob is a kind, empathetic, progressive guy who exercises and eats pussy or sucks a mean dick, whichever he does. I hope he's good at his job. I hope he is accepted by his family and bought GameStop at a low price. I hope he woke up today happy and that his team won the game. Which game? I don't know, but I'm sure there's a game on and I hope his team won it. And I hope he will be a Patreon supporter for a very long time. Thank you, Jacob, for supporting the Man Whore Podcast on Patreon. Hope you're doing well. And you too can support the Man Whore Podcast, a.k.a. me. You're supporting me. There's no team. Just me. All the work by myself. You too can support me and my work on Patreon for as little as $2 a month. Become a member today. Gain access to oh so much bonus content at patreon.com slash Podcast. That's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Man Whore Podcast. Folks, I don't listen to a lot of different podcasts. But one of the few shows, I think I'm subscribed to like seven or eight shows. And one of those shows is Multi-Amory. I started listening to them many years ago because it's such an amazing resource if you do dating differently. It used to be just like, oh, if you want to like learn more about poly, but honestly, they talk about a lot of stuff you can use in your monogamous relationship, a lot of stuff about attachment style and communication strategies and things like that. They did an episode during lockdown about uh, chewers versus spewers. 
It changed my whole fucking life. It's about like internal processing versus external processing. <laughs> Guess which one I am. <laughs> and uh, that was just like really eye-opening. And then, I, and then I thought about my mom. I was like, oh, that's exactly where I fucking got that from. And since then, I've been able to like work on that and be mindful of it and employ strategies to try to like internally process a little bit more. Anyways, big fan of Multiamory. I've had Jace Lindgren, one of the other co-hosts. He's been on the pod uh, back in 2018. You can check out his episode. It was episode 250 if you want to check his out. And uh, gosh, hoping I can get Emily Matlock one of these days. That'd be pretty cool. Get the whole trifecta. But Dedeker is, uh, is amazing and uh, a great resource when it comes to dating and non-monogamy. And one of the reasons I was so excited to talk to Dedeker is because she is typically pretty private about her dating life. So I was thrilled as both like a fan of her show and also as a podcaster that I got to uh, delve in and get some juice. If there's any other multi-fans listening, I think we got her to slip some stuff out there that'd be fun for us. So I hope you all enjoy this episode. I know I did. She's also the author of uh, A Smart Girl's Guide to Polyamory. I'll have a link to that in the show notes. And uh, yeah, let's, let's go chat with Dedeker Winston. Look, I know a lot of you out there are secret perverts. Yeah, you. You're listening to this at your office and you're a little nervous someone might see the name of the show over your shoulder. Hearing hot sex stories gets you flustered at the grocery store. I'm talking to you. You're going to love this week's sponsor, Audio Desires. I love this mobile website for my audio erotica. Ah, They have so many different kinds of stories. BDSM stories, group sex stories, queer stories, sex in public stories, and yes, even stories about a really great night indoors with your monogamous husband. Gasp. Taboo. Yeah, even that. Loving long-term relationships are hot. Big fan. And at audiodesires.com, they offer stories in three different languages with a variety of accents. Like if you listen to a story in Spanish, there are eight different available accents. I may not understand what this Argentinian woman is saying, but I know it sounds really hot when she says it. Audio Desires is offering Manor Podcast listeners a very, very, very sexy offer. Get 20% off a monthly membership or get this half off, half off an annual membership when you use promo code manwhore at signup. I know a lot of you like sexy stories and I know you're going to enjoy the smooth mobile interface of audio desires. One more time. That's promo code manwhore at audiodesires.com. I've made it everyone. I'm promoting erections. In sports, you, you know, you want the endorsement Quan. If you ever saw the movie Jerry Maguire, uh, you want the Quan, the shoe, the car, the clothing line, the soft drink. Well, in sex podcasting, you want the vibrator, the mattress, the lube, the boner supplement. So I'm hyped to be sponsored by Joy Mode, the biohack for your bedroom. Even this whore boy here gets nervous sometimes before a big sexual event. Being a couple's bull. For the first time, orgy night, maybe an OnlyFans shoot I'm nervous about. So yes, I feel more confident with a little joy mode in my back pocket. It's like one of those pre-workout electrolyte packets you mix with water, but it's for better, firmer erections. And it's all natural. No prescription needed, no side effects, no nasty aftertaste, <laughs> no blue tongue effect, if you know what I mean. You can expect better blood flow, better erections, and increased sexual energy with Joy Mode. 
So you want to spice things up in the bedroom and boost your sexual performance? Of course you do. And you want to do it naturally, without nasty prescription drugs. Well, Joy Mode has a special offer for Fan Whore Nation. Go to usejoymode.com slash manwhore or enter manwhore at checkout for 20% off your first offer. That's usejoymode, U-S-E-J-O-I-M-O-D-N-D, not and E, like it's just, there's an Andy. It's not D-A-N-D-E, it's joy, it's joy mode. I'm just, I need an extra syllable for the Mickey Mouse theme. Um, usejoymode.com slash manwhore for 20% off your first offer. Thanks, Joy Mode. Now let's get to the show. All three multi-amory guests. One I, day. Yes. One, this is level two. You'll, you'll get Emily eventually. You'll get her. It feels like a level three type of uh, boss to, to conquer. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, uh, she seems like the most close to the chest of I think, the but, three but of y'all. There's, there's definitely a domino effect, right? If Since now you've gotten two of us, it makes it easier to get the third one. Absolutely. As long as you don't quit like five minutes in, I, I might have a shot. It's like <laughs> well, I'll leave my mind open to all possibilities. And and how are you? How are you doing? I know when I first reached out, it was just after a big breakup. And so mm-hmm. I want to check in on how that is. Honestly, I'm doing great. I think that, I mean, grief and recovering from a breakup is such a fascinating process and can take such a long time and it's not linear and we go back and forth and spiral and stuff like that. But to be quite honest, like I think that I've hit a place where now it's not, I'm not so acutely aware of the loss and I'm more acutely aware of like the freed up energy and time and space, which like who has that anymore, (laughs) you know? And so being able to lean into, oh, wow. I mean, it was really hard and really painful to lose this relationship and lose this person, but I'm also losing the relationship stress Mm-hmm. And how much of my mind it took up on a day-to-day basis. And now I do have like this kind of extra energy and mental capacity to not only focus on my own healing, but on other things, other people, other projects. So that's actually a really exciting turn for me. Yeah. I think sometimes we can focus so much on trying to fight to save a thing that we, you know, once we're free of it, we realize how much work we were putting in. And then you start almost like retroactively trying to figure out the cost benefit analysis. Like, was I putting in too much work to save something that maybe shouldn't have been saved? Oh, and my therapist is completely earning everything that I pay her (laughs) in the process of unpacking that whole question, right? Yeah. Yeah, It's 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 a funny time for me though, because I... I mean, everyone talks about going through a big breakup and experiencing an identity crisis. And I didn't think that that was going to happen to me because I'm like, oh, I'm not codependent. I don't tie my identity to like the people that I'm with. But then when it happened, I realized more what I've tied my identity to is this particular form of polyamory where I have two long-term partners Mm -hmm. and realizing I really leaned into that as a sense of um, being able to telegraph legitimacy to people who are skeptical because I think early on in my non-monogamous journey when you're like oh yeah I'm dating three people and we've known each other for three months you know people are like okay sure great but when you tell people and then when it fails it proves that the whole thing doesn't work right exactly but when you tell people like oh yeah I have two partners I've been with one for nine years and one for six years and like I cohabit with both of them at different times of the year like it lends a certain amount of at least what I perceived as legitimacy. It gave people mm-hmm. pause. It gave people like, oh, I guess maybe you know what you're doing. And then suddenly not having half of that 
really threw me in a tizzy for mm-hmm. a little while, to be totally honest. But I'm glad you're doing you're doing better post breakup. I was shocked to even hear about the breakup. I didn't even know there was like oh, an, me too. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, were you were you broken up with? I was broken up with. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and also, also, it was. Uh, I mean, it, past two years have been hard on a lot of relationships. Sure. Um, mine notwithstanding. And so it wasn't like, oh, everything was like perfect and magical. And all of a sudden it came out of nowhere. It was things were tough, but I wasn't expecting to be broken up with. So mm-hmm. so I'm here with, you know, the, one of the co-hosts of Multiamory, um, the poly icon, dare I say, Dedeker Winston. <laughs> You're like, well, one book, hey, it, you know, maybe, but you got y'all got a second book coming out. We have a that's second a, bun in the oven. And so dare I say been- iconic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't. Know, I wonder if iconic's okay because I have noticed that among other non-monogamy content creators, podcast hosts, writers, whatever, whoever's in that bunch, there's definitely this push of like, don't call me an expert. I can't be an expert. I can't make the claim of expert because as soon as you make the claim of expert, then people start poking holes in that, and then you have to be perfect. Mm-hmm. And so everyone's always bending over backwards, to be like, not an expert, not an expert, not an expert. But maybe icon is a little more accessible. <laughs> like. Maybe that's okay. Maybe icon is harder to poke holes in. Yeah. Hey, I mean, I've taken that strategy from day one. I'm just a comedian with a fuck show. Please do mm-hmm. not claim don't, don't. I'm teaching anything. <laughs> you know, whenever someone shouldn't be like, who does he think he is calling himself an expert? I was like, never did. Never did. Right. Can't find that quote. <laughs> Doesn't exist. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like we, you know, you know, as a fan of multi-amory myself, I, to see you post about it uh, in your Discord server, I was just like, whoa, like she's letting us know something. This is crazy because y'all are very third person on multi. Mm-hmm. There's like very rarely first person tales and even less so first person tales beyond the three of you. Yeah. I, I mean, we do try to dip into sharing personal stories when it's relevant, right? Sure. Usually stories of fuck ups or hard life lessons and things like that. But we've always tried to stay away from, I'm going to give you a blow by blow update of what's going mm. on in my dating life right now for a number of reasons. I think especially when the podcast first began in those first couple of years, there was a lot going on. There was a lot of relationships starting and ending and some drama and even internal drama and things like that. You know, like the fundamental structure of the relationship that the three of us had really fundamentally changed. And so for us to unpack that in real time felt a little bit weird Combined with a couple of other factors, one of them being none of us ever want to feel like if you're dating me, that means you have no privacy because it's going to end up on the show. Or if we end up in a falling out, that's going to end up unpacked in real time. Uh, not necessarily in front of a studio audience, but a delayed studio audience, yeah. you know. And also I I've seen a number of podcasts in particular where for some reason people think it's a great idea. Like so many podcasts I've seen, we're like, we're a couple. We're thinking about opening up our relationship. Let's document it in real time (laughs) on a podcast. (laughs) And it's just like such a train wreck, you know? I'm like, that's what the culture wants. That is what the culture wants. We watch train wrecks. We watch shitty Netflix dating shows. Yes. The ultimatum. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I know that's what the culture wants, but it's just... 
I don't know. I, I don't feel like we feel super comfortable going there. Like I feel like we really want to protect people's privacy to the best that we can. But that See, doesn't me, mean like I a totally get... closed book. You're the opposite. Oh yeah. I'm I'm the like I get dumped three to five times in one relationship and I will let you ride <laughs> that roller coaster <laughs> with coaster. me. Um <laughs> we just finished up breakup number five, I think. Mm, so mm-hmm. you know, the Tune in next week. <laughs> see if Billy's sad or not. Right. <laughs> but it is interesting, you know, trying to figure out where those privacy lines lie. Yes. And, and I do also don't want someone to date me and think your life's an open book, too. It's just more like uh, I try to find where in between nothing and full transparency is comfortable for them and realistic for me. You know, yes, I think also being non-monogamous gives like someone dating me a lot of cover because let's say like. You know, like my current person, she doesn't want me to sell like say like the explicit sexual details of things we do. So all I have to do is just say, ascribe it to like I did this with someone. It because right. yeah. I it could be any one of my lovers. Yeah. Um, uh, let's pretend I have a, so many lovers or something like that. Yeah, and I mean I have done a fair amount of that on mm-hmm. multi-amory, sometimes about current partners, but where it's like, yeah, you're talking about maybe something a little bit sensitive or maybe something a little bit vulnerable, and so it's easy to just be like, oh yeah, I had a partner and this happened, yeah. right? And you don't know if that's past, present. Maybe the future. Who knows? Yeah. Maybe I'm predicting things. They don't need to know if Wallet Note Lady ate my ass or if it was some other person, right? Exactly. It's like, it's just, it's unimportant. Or some other a good thing part. is Billy was taken care of that night is what we're <laughs> supposed to take from this story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, something I appreciate, you know, before we started, you, you said, oh, gosh, I love it when I get a chance to go a little left of what every fucking poly podcast wants me to talk about. You know, it's not all rose colored glasses with poly with non-monogamy yeah what do you wish you were talking about more um in these spaces yeah i suppose for years it's often been a a desire to push beyond just like the 101 or even the 201 topics i mean Mm -hmm. i love covering those it's more of what i think about when other people invite me on their shows sometimes it's people who are already in the non-monogamous sex positive space sometimes it's people who are completely outside of that and just super curious to talk to the polyamorous person and so that's great i'm really happy to do those things but it does mean that i can do my polyamory origin story in my sleep right (laughs) there have been times i i've shit you know where i have like full-on disassociated (laughs) while telling that story on somebody else's podcast just because it's just like so ingrained and that's what people want to hear yeah but i don't know i'm i'm more interested in the things that you uh are biting at the bits to talk about uh, that no one is asking for it people put you in that expert position too often that we don't get to hear about say like What's your current dating life like? I remember when you moved to Japan and I was like, what's she, how's the poly thing going to be there? But that was so long ago, I totally forgot until you brought it up. Uh, <gasps> yeah. That you've been doing like polyamory dating in Japan as a very not Japanese looking person. No one would describe me as Japanese looking. That is correct. <laughs> that is correct. Um, yeah, so I don't live in Japan full time. Before the pandemic, though, I was averaging about six months out of the year yeah. uh, living over there. Um, just as a caveat, like I freaking love Japan. Obviously, that's why I go over there all the freaking time. Um, I don't want to oversell my own abilities, but I'm like conversationally fluent in Japanese, which uh-huh. makes things a little bit easier. Um, why did you I go will, out there in the first place? You know, I studied Japanese in college completely on a whim, fell in love mm-hmm. with the language. And then it was just like, oh, well, now I got to go. And and so just started going and just staying for longer and longer and longer and like renting places to stay. And just really enjoying my time there a lot. It's, I, I, so I don't know. The funny thing about the language is 
dating in your not native language is a trip. I don't know if you've ever had that experience, Billy. Uh, you know, I, I I can get to the library in Spanish, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I can understand if someone's calling me mean names. But that's okay. about it. I mean, that might be the bare minimum for that being might able be all to I go need. on a date. If, yeah, it's hot. do you want to go to the library with me? And then I want you to choke me and call me nasty names. That we right. can make that work. Can, I guess you can make that work. I've made it work with, well, I don't know if I want to say with less, but but it is funny because I think back on when I first started doing long stays in Japan back in, was probably 2015 or so, thinking about my language skills then and feeling confident back then to go on Tinder and start going on dates where English is not the language that we're speaking and you don't yeah. even speak English at all. Um and even looking back and be like, what the heck was I thinking? <laughs> like, and it's such a fascinating thing. And this is like, I'm not even getting to the non-monogamy part sure. yet, right? Like, I'm just talking this is just about dating in dating another place. In yeah. general, um, I found really quickly that when I'm dating and I'm using my native language, there's a particular persona that I'm used to putting on, especially for a first date when you want to make a good impression, a combination of a good impression, but also an accurate impression, right, of who you right. are and what makes you tick and what excites you. And so for me, it's often really leaning into my intelligence, right, and how cultured I am and well-read I am and talking about these philosophical topics and stuff like that. But then when you take me and put me in Japan and my language skills are that of like an eighth grader, like that's my vocabulary, I had to create an entirely different persona. Now, it makes it sound like I was putting on a character. That's not the case. But it was just like different parts of me had to have the volume turned up and different parts had to have the volume turned down. And so I went from like, I'm the erudite, intelligent (laughs) author, Dedeker Winston, to like, I'm Dee Dee. I'm fun. I'm playful. The weather is nice. The weather is bad. (laughs) Yeah. Let's go to the library. (laughs) Um, You know, I make jokes at my own expense. I'm a lot more like flirty and like bubbly and silly. And that was actually a really, really fascinating experience to go through. And I've gone through many times now of just like, yeah, it's just this kind of this different side of me that has to come to the table that has to, I don't know that, yeah, that steps to the forefront to get me through a situation where I guess I need to be charismatic, but I don't have the language skills to like impress you with how freaking smart I am. Why doesn't that come through in your, uh, I'll call it English speaking dating? <laughs> oh gosh. I, it, it does come through, but we need to be on date like 627. Wow. So <laughs> you're, you don't get flirty till a couple years in. That's Oh, no, it's just a different, it's just a different flavor of flirty. It's more yeah. the like silliness, the playfulness, the bubbliness doesn't come in until a lot later. Um, I mean, I feel like I've known you like roughly like five-ish, six years, and uh, and I feel like I'm only now seeing it. Only now. <laughs> exactly. You got it. You got it. You're on like the average time scale of everybody else in my life. Do you remember what that first, uh, that first like match exchange was like? Oh, my goodness. Like, like my first Tinder match or uh, whatever? In Japan, yeah. I don't remember the first like app exchange, but I do remember the first couple dates that I went on. Um, and like being just incredibly nervous because of the language thing, right? Right. Because it's just like, not only is it vulnerable to go on a first date, but it's vulnerable because I'm like, I am going to embarrass myself. There is no option. There's no version of this where I don't embarrass myself in some way. And that's like such a level of vulnerability to bring to it. And I'm just like praying that this person is not a jerk regarding language stuff. Um, 
ultimately it ended up being okay. Since then, I've, you know, had many more robust dating relationships with people in Japan and my language skills have gotten a lot better, but it was just kind of interesting that first time around. Now, it, a big landmark for me was the day that I could finally in Japanese have the like I'm going to explain polyamory to you mm. conversation with someone that I met out and about. You know, what so it is wasn't the like word before you continue? What is the word for polyamory? In Japanese. Oh, I'm so glad you asked. The word is poriamori. C- can you say that again? A little slower for the American? Poriamori. Pori, poriamori? It's literally polyamory with a Japanese accent. Oh, it's, poly, accent. it's, poly, it's polyamory. Yes. Oh. <laughs> okay. There's, there's an embarrassing amount of English that has made its way into modern day Japanese, but that's mm-hmm. a topic for another time. But anyway, you know, the day that just for context, I'd like developed a crush on this waiter. So like you do, you know, I was in a cafe, he was the waiter, I was not the waiter. He was a musician by night, you know, we started chatting, like I would come to the cafe pretty frequently and like, started chatting each other up and stuff like that. He spoke zero English. Um, And so finally came to the point where I had essentially kind of like the coming out conversation, you know, and the like, I'm going to explain polyamory to you. And was able to get through it and like fielded his questions um, all in Japanese. And I was just like feeling such a linguistic badass. I was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm fluent. I'm at the top of my game. This is amazing. And then literally the next thing that happened was I was asking him about his music gigs. And I tried to ask him like, oh, like what kind of money do you make at your gigs? Or like, you know, is it like essentially trying to ask, is it good money? Is it bad money? You know, not in like a prying way, right? Mm -hmm. Just in a kind of a casual way. And instead of asking that, what I actually asked was, what kind of dinosaurs do you get at your gigs? And and so, you know, it went from feeling like I'm a linguistic badass to I'm like total trash and just like bury me right now. And so so that that theme has stayed consistent with my Mm. adventures in polyamory (laughs) in Japan. Uh, What were some some key cultural differences in, in dating Japan versus the States. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I could t- like, that's a whole Ted talk right there. Right. Um, <laughs> a couple again, of the highlights. Yeah. Yeah. I need to give the caveat that of course, these are my impressions as a foreigner who is not like born and raised in Japan, you know, who's just been there quite a bit and has had a lot of conversations, especially a lot of conversations with folks in the polyamory community over there. Um, to speak about dating in general, like if we're going to talk about traditional dating, there's definitely much more i think i think the relationship escalator is a lot stronger still mm. over there like like a lot more expectation that if we reach a particular point of seriousness we're going to start talking about marriage and kids like that's mm. a given um <laughs> sorry sorry Billy, just had right. a weird hiccup <laughs> no it's like capturing any of a dedeker winston imperfection it's just so rare <laughs> It's like a Mewtwo, you know, you don't, you know, it's real, oh. but you see it once in a blue moon. I was hoping it'd be a Mew, so at least it's a little bit cuter. But... A Mew, that is true. The Mew is cuter. I don't know why that. <laughs> <laughs> Let me pick it back up. Where was I? Yeah. So, so the relationship escalator is just a lot stronger. There's much more of an expectation that when you start dating somebody, if it lasts for a particular period of time, you are definitely going to start talking about marriage and kids. There's still a lot of emphasis on the traditional family structure, um, especially that being essentially kind of a marker of entering adulthood 
when you get married and finally have kids, things like that. Now, what I notice that they don't have is I think sexual repression works a little bit differently in mm. Japan. Like, like what I notice in the States is, of course, we have this, these puritanical roots that were the starting points of a lot of our sex negativity and shame around sex and mm. wanting sex to only be for procreation and things like that. And Japan, it's not like they definitely have their own flavor of sexual repression, but their roots don't come from that kind of puritanical base. Like their roots come from Shintoism and Buddhism, which to speak and paint with a very, very broad brush has been a little bit less um, sex shamey historically over the years. Like my impression often, and especially talking to a lot of my Japanese friends or Japanese partners is there's almost a little bit more of this sense of like sexually you do what you, do do what you want, you know, like sex with men, sex with women, you know, like whatever kind of kinky sex you want to have, like go do that. Just please don't talk about it. Please don't tell uh, us about it. Please have a family and kids and like go to your job and just like please do the things that you're supposed to do um and just don't embarrass us. It sounds like it sounds a little British. Mm, yeah, I, I feel like the, the idea of like we do these things, but we don't talk about it and maintain your obligations. Yeah. And so the really fascinating thing is, so I've connected to a couple of the different, um, I'll, I guess I'll call them icons, polyamory icons in Japan. Um, so uh, Kikue Fukami, she wrote one of the first, I think, first Japanese language books ever to even broach the subject of polyamory. She did it from kind of a research perspective. Um, and then there's a woman uh, who goes by the name of Kinoko, who she also just put out a book a couple years ago. Um and is very, very active in the polyamory community. And I've talked to them and a number of other Japanese people who are exploring polyamory or identify as polyamorous. And I hear a lot of people sharing stories of their parents essentially having some kind of open marriage arrangement. You know, some kind of like the I've mm. heard this story so many times of, yeah, like my dad had a mistress and my mom totally knew about it. It was open knowledge, but like it was kind of this agreement of like, we're not going to talk about it. And as long as like you bring the paycheck home and you're like a stable provider, then it's okay. And mm. we're just going to not really acknowledge it, but it's, but we're going to kind of agree that it's okay. And yeah. there's a lot more of that in Japanese culture um, historically than I think there has been here. Now, don't get me wrong, there's also yeah. a lot of people feeling very hurt by infidelity and, and wanting very traditional monogamy for sure. But uh, I don't know. I, like I've just noticed there's been more of that story, a little bit more of that baked into the culture, a little bit more of almost this assump- sometimes this assumption of like, yeah, people can't necessarily be monogamous. And so we figure out what we got to do. We just don't talk about it and don't do anything publicly and don't be open about it. And mm-hmm. and this is a culture where, I don't know, like thinking about the way to think about sex, like there's love hotels everywhere, everywhere. What, what's a love hotel? Oh, they're fantastic. <laughs> it's I wish we had them here. So I think here we think about like the no-tell motel, like the seedy hourly motel. And it's like a, you know, I think the image of the the like motel here is like it's very dingy, you know, there's maybe some kind of not so ethical like sex work interaction going yeah. on perhaps but like a minute in, hotel yes exactly. i think of the over hotel in, in the missy Elliott video that's what yes, i think of yes <laughs> over in japan though like love hotels sprung up out of a little bit more of a generalized need of like people need a place to have sex because it's a culture where a lot of young people are still living at home until they get married. It's a culture where a traditional Japanese house literally has paper for walls. Like there's not a ton of privacy. 
Mm-hmm. And so there was this need of like, people need a place to go and have sex. And it's not just about if you want to bring a sex worker home or if you want to cheat on somebody, it's like your boyfriend or girlfriend, whoever it yeah. is, um, because you just don't have privacy. And so that means they run the range from like kind of being a little bit small and cheap to like really grandiose and amazing. Um, and it is kind of the whole hourly thing of like you pay for a block of two hours and privacy is often very highly prized. And so it's kind of like you're going to go into the lobby of a hotel. You're not going to interact with a single human being. All of the rooms that are available are up on a board. You're going to put your money in and like pick the room wow. that you want. It's going to spit out a key. A little lights are going to light up to show you how to get Wait, there to aren't the even like workers that you no. have to interact with. No. Wow. No, not. Wow. At all. There's even little booths of like if you show up separately from the person you're meeting, if you want to wait for them, like you can go into this just little private booth, almost like a little telephone booth so that no one can see you. Um, it's a little embarrassing if someone sees you, maybe, or like if you run into somebody, obviously, that'd be really embarrassing, but it's not like really stigmatized. Mm hmm. So it's not like uh, they're teasing Mr. Choi after we're like, I saw you at the Love Hotel. It's probably just, not. No. Okay. Probably not. But I mean, I, of course, I can't sure. speak for everybody, but it, but a really interesting experience. Like, because now I've been to a, a handful of Love Hotels, and they oh. all kinds of different themes that you could possibly want. <laughs> you know, any, like, any favorite themes or terrible themes you've come across? Oh, oh okay. Um, yeah. Let me think. Okay. So I mean, one of the first ones that I ever went to. Was was a BDSM themed love hotel, and okay. it's called the Alpha Inn, and I believe it's one of the few BDS themed love hotels in Tokyo specifically. Um, so if you're ever in Tokyo, highly recommend. Um, Dedeker Winston, are you into BDSM? I don't know. You don't know? <laughs> I don't know. I've dabbled. I've dabbled across the board. I okay. Here's the thing. My sex life. I've talked about this with some partners before, trying to put my finger on it. Um, my sex life, if we're talking about ice cream flavors, mostly it's like a really high quality, expensive tasting French vanilla, Mm -hmm. but somewhere in there, there's like little pockets of sriracha, but I'm not going (laughs) to advertise that on the outside of the ice cream container. You're just going to be surprised by this like really wonderful vanilla experience and then suddenly sriracha in your mouth. Anyway, um, so so the BDSM themed love hotel. <laughs> that is the most I've ever heard you on anything or anywhere talk about the con- the existence of your personal sex life. Oh, uh-huh. uh, amazing! <laughs> I'll just leave it up to people's imagination and to, as a to multi fan, I just I feel I feel satisfied already. <laughs> okay, good, good. I'm glad. I'm so glad. Um, so so the Alpha Inn, I think that one is really cool because, you know, I mean, you can pick out a room that looks like you're on a subway car and it comes with all the gear that you could possibly want. And the worst one that I went to, and just for some context, I went to this one not to have sex. Literally, it was Jace and I, we were, we were traveling and like we just needed a place to stay because that's the other thing is they're a really convenient place to stay because you can pay like 40 bucks a night and you know super cheap um so not going here specifically to have sex we literally picked out this one because it was close and it was cheap but the name of the hotel was otoboke beaver and which which translates to coquettish beaver and their mascot was actually like a little beaver um (laughs) and it was i mean it was fine it was like it was clean to be fair it was clean we were even in a room with a black light on which is which is, you know, that's bold for a love hotel and like totally spotless, totally clean. There was a, a Hitachi vibrator that was hardwired into the wall. No. Yes. But, Do they but have, like, conveniently, co- it came with a special condom. 
Yeah. That would fit over the head of it. So if you wanted to use the Hitachi that everyone else who stayed in this room has used, you can. We love a clean beaver. Uh, everyone loves a clean beaver. Everyone loves a clean beaver. <laughs> you know, you said that, you know, polyamory has been a growing a scene over like the last decade or, or whatever, you know, over the last years uh, in Japan. What what are you noticing differences between poly in Japan and, and poly in the States? Yes. And I sort of see that playing out in a little bit of the microcosm within the polyamory scene in Japan because it's fairly segregated between there's like all the expats living in Japan, you know, have been sent over there for work or for whatever reason, you know, there's those folks that have created a poly community. And then there's the actual like Japanese nationals, Japanese language speaking polyamorous community. I'm talking about in terms of like the meetups and the events and things that happen. And the expat community tends to be, I've found um, a little bit more kink oriented, a little bit more kink focused, Mm -hmm. like, a lot of white folks into Shibari are in that community. And, and so that's kind of what I noticed is that like already kind of, I think the kink community in Japan is already relatively small. And so they kind of have to glom on with the polyamorous community and things like that. Mm -hmm. On the other side with the Japanese speaking, the Japanese national polyamorous community, they've kind of had to glom on a little bit more to the queer community because queer community also still relatively small in Japan, growing for sure. Um, And so I think that's interesting because as far as conversations around acceptance and things like that, like at least within Japan, it's like we're still working on queer rights, Uh you know, to a certain extent, we're also still working on like, can we make it okay for women to not wear high heels at work, please? Like there's still some, some fundamental things that, that are part of the conversation in Japan. That's a little bit different from over here. Um, But again, I, I, I don't know. I've, I've been watching it very closely. I'm really curious to see how the trajectory goes because again, Japan just, it just kind of has different mores and different baggage around sex that I think actually sets them up to maybe be a little bit more embracing of non-monogamy yeah. than some of us over here in the States. Do you feel safe out there as like a queer woman in Japan? Oh, yes. I, I mean, again, I can't say, oh, it's 100% safe, like nothing bad ever happens. That's definitely not the case. But I mean, compared to here, I mean, I will walk down an alley by myself at three mm. in the morning and feel okay okay you know like like general safety in japan is just like a lot higher like crime rate is just a lot lower over there in general um again that's not to say that nothing bad ever happens but i know for myself and like checking in with how my body feels and things like that i'm much more comfortable kind of i guess maybe taking risks or or things that would be risky over here don't feel quite as risky over there sure and how has been the uh explaining poly when you're on a date in Japan, how has that been going? Are you finding certain things easier or, or more difficult? So there's also the element, by the way, of like the fact that you are only there, you know, parts yeah, of like the year. And like, what year. does that play into things? Can people take you seriously on a date? Sure, sure. Um, yeah, well, at least my experience in Japan, like when I'm talking to people, either people that I'm interested in dating or even just friends, like if I'm open about what I do and the subject that I cover and how I structure my relationships, I'm unlikely to get a reaction that I've sometimes gotten a lot here in the States, which is the reaction of like shock and horror <laughs> and sometimes disgust. And people who are ready to just 
immediately throw all these very probing questions at you or immediately be like, oh, but how does the sex work? Oh, but what about this? Oh, but what about this? You know, people in general, at least in my experience, are much less confrontational. And so maybe um, my experience I've had with a lot of Japanese friends, a lot of people being like, oh, wow, that's so interesting. That's so fascinating. I want to ask these questions. Wow. That's, that's so cool. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, but just, we just don't do that here though. Sure. <laughs> you know, we like, like it's a, it's less of you're bad and you're sinful and you're wrong and you're disgusting. And it's a little bit more of like, Oh, okay. You're a foreigner. We just don't do that. <laughs> Which of course they, is not everybody, but, but that's what I notice in my personal experience. They look at you like, you know, when you're in another country with great food and you still go to McDonald's, they'd be like, I mean, you're allowed to do that, I guess. Yes. Yeah. But, you know, we don't do right. that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's fair. That's fair. And But the thing is, like, if somebody is going to have a disgust response, mm-hmm. a shame response, a horrified response, they're much more likely to have that behind closed doors. They're much more likely to go gossip about that instead of projecting that onto me, you know, sure. instead of immediately making me have to deal with that, which I think Americans are much more likely to to do that. Yeah. I Now, I would think this even just being someone who is – in Japan only for chunks of time, but also extended to polyamory, having other partners. You know, do you find that when you're on dates out there, people take you more casually? Yeah, I suppose it depends. I mean, honestly, I think the most successful and like long-term, like ongoing relationships that I've had have been with other folks who I mean, are already weirdos as well. Oh. Like either they travel all the time or if they spent a long time living outside of Japan or or they you know, already feel like they're at odds with a lot of traditional values, things like that. So it's clearly the open-minded folks or the folks who are a little left of center, as it were, there tends to be a better rapport than, than people who are not. Mm-hmm. Do you have any tips for people who date internationally that you, uh, you know, as someone who's been doing that now for like half a decade or more now, I mm-hmm. think, right? Yes. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean, I think so for that, contacts for people who are, don't listen to multi-amory who should, uh, you know, you, your, your longest term partner, Jace is on the West coast in yes. Cali and, and you're a lot of times out in Japan and sometimes mm-hmm. come back. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know where you're, is your other partner in Australia? Yeah. He make- was in Australia. He's the right, one that right. broke up with me. So not going oh, to Australia anytime okay. soon. Okay. I'm but sorry okay. to hear that one. Yeah. Being able to avoid a 21 hour flight is is not the worst thing in the world. Sure, sure. Uh, But yeah, but tips for dating internationally. To speak to just the dating part, if you're thinking about just, I don't know, you're in another country and you want to go on some dates and things like that, I think it's just kind of the general good traveler advice, which is you may have to leave some of your assumptions at the door Mm. about what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. Like you may need to, there may be a little bit of a learning curve there. I, I know for myself when I first started kind of digital nomading around several years ago that even just seeing the difference in how different Tinder felt in different countries, how people did different things in their profiles, you know. Um, like what? Uh, gosh, well, like I remember I spent several months in Turkey and people just generally like a lot more I guess the word might be a little aggressive or a little bit pushy, like especially men, I think are socialized to be much more, you know, the engine driving things forward. So, so much more pushy than I think that we now find acceptable in the States. And then by contrast, um, being on Tinder in Japan, everyone's so freaking wholesome Mm. in their profiles. Like no one's necessarily trying to be like witty or provocative or things like that. People are just like, 
this is my job. These are my hobbies. Oh my goodness. I'm so glad. Thank you for checking out my profile. Like, let's be friends. Like, <laughs> um, like the forward facing persona is so, so wholesome. I think compared to in the States where it's like, I'm trying to be funny or I'm trying to be witty or I'm trying to provoke you in some way, or I'm trying to interest you in some way. Um, so there's that. I, I think it just requires a certain amount of open-mindedness and understanding that, I don't know this is a thing. Americans just get so American centric, yeah. right? We get so fo- like so convinced that the way that we think is the correct way. We we are a country of people who don't want to admit we're wrong. It's no, very difficult. Like uh, we think, oh, we figured it out. We figured it out first, especially when it comes to things like like social awareness and social justice issues and things like that. That sometimes you go to another country and. and it can be a weird extension of colonialism sometimes, I think, to be like, no, 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 we're the ones who figured out what you should be doing and saying in this situation. So we know Tinder. We invented I know, Tinder. I know. We know you're all doing Tinder wrong. You're doing it wrong. <laughs> so so I think there's that. But then as far as the long distance thing, I mean, I don't know. That ended up kind of as a product of circumstance for me because when I you know, back in 2015, I made this very conscious decision to get rid of my apartment, get rid of all my stuff, just you know, reduced down to a backpack and just go, just bought a one-way ticket wow. and just went and just lived in many different countries or stayed in many different countries for a month, two months, three months at a time. Um, and I was not intending to be creating like long-lasting relationships as I went. It was just kind of like some people stuck around despite the distance and despite yeah. me being very, very upfront of like, dude, I'm go, I'm, I'm gone. Like I'm leaving, you know, like just so you know, like you got to be okay with this. Um, but then, I mean, the fact that it, for me, like that ended up lasting several, several years, it did teach me a lot of really interesting things because I think that actually having that experience of having longer chunks of time away from a partner for the most part, and especially before the pandemic hit, I think was actually quite healthy and quite adaptive. At least that's how I kind of felt in my little polycule of the people that I was dating that... Mm when it's not just, oh, I'm gone for the night or I'm gone for the weekend or maybe I'm gone for a week on vacation with another partner, but it's like, no, I'm going to spend like two months away from you. Yeah. That there was actually something really, I, I don't know, the word that comes to mind is restorative, like actually being able to take a break and not like we'd stop talking or whatever. It's like still doing relationship yeah. maintenance, still doing Zoom calls and regular date nights and and sending nudes and like all the things that you do to maintain a relationship. Dedeker Winston sends nudes. <sighs> what? Not, uh, not frequently. But... It's been recorded. <laughs> oh, the, the server's going to go nuts. They're just going to be like, whoa, mm-hmm. we, we don't even know her anymore. <laughs> <laughs> there is a, a kind of a wholesome, uh, because of the lack of the kind of the impersonal, uh-huh. I don't know, putting the arms distance between audience and personal life is I do have a very wholesome view of all three of you. But doesn't uh, that make it know? a little bit hotter? I, you know, it's it's very exciting to hear that Dedeker Winston has <laughs> sent a nude in the last five years. You know, like it's yes, just correct. it's fun. It, it sets the uh, the bar for excitement. Yes, does get it's like dropped a strip tease. Out. Right, like very a much. really, really slow years long strip tease. Dedeker, we are all uh, very excited to hear about your metaphorical ankle. You know, it's oh yes, it's, ooh, <laughs> just got some ink. Uh huh, that that ink action. <laughs> um, 
But I think that was my biggest takeaway. Of course, like long distance relationships and of course a long distance relationship with a huge time zone gap is a freaking pain in the ass. Yeah. Like it's a lot of work. It's definitely not a walk in the park. But having that experience of just that time apart and having people having free time to yourself, like it's, I don't know, it's something that I don't think we think about a lot, especially in cohabiting relationships. But there was something about that that I think felt really, really good. And especially if we're talking about sex and talking about sexual desire, like actually taking that space really helps a lot of folks to be able to come back to that sexual connection and remember like craving their partner's touch, which is a little bit different when your partner's touch is around just all the time. Yeah. What was, uh, what was the conversation like between you and Jace when you decided you were good? And again, this is, it sounds like a very independent, like I decided not a, I asked for permission, but like, I'm going to do this. Would you like to be with me on it? What was that conversation like with Jace? Oh, I'm not proud of that one, I have to okay. say. I don't think I handled it super great because for context, like it was on the heels of like a really, really, really devastating breakup. Like like both it was a very formative relationship and the breakup itself was just real messy. Um and leading up to it had been really messy. This person uh, I, like, I don't want to go into that drama, but that was the backdrop. And I had already been thinking about doing the digital nomad thing for a few years, had already been researching it a lot, you know, really percolating on it, meditating on it. And then the breakup happened and I gave myself like a month or so, um, maybe a couple months. And then um, a yoga teacher of mine invited me onto essentially a yoga modeling gig in Sofia in Bulgaria. And I was kind of like, oh, wow, that sounds great. And it was kind of like, I'm buying a one-way ticket. Bye. That was kind of the conversation. Um, oh. And you'd been not... together how long at that point? At that point, we had been together two years. And like you had had a podcast for about a year, I think, yes. probably at that point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Probably a little less than a year. Um yeah, I don't know. I was like, I was like in so much pain at that time and just so self focused on what I needed. And it had also been that particular relationship had been like a very controlling relationship. And so I think I really was like, I need to do hard pendulum swing the other way. I need to get the fuck out of here and do my own thing and not have anyone expect anything of me. Like, I just need to go. I really, really needed that. Like, especially the first couple months of being on my own and and mostly having my time to myself and traveling on my own was incredibly important for me. Um, but I, I think ultimately the point of this story is it's more of kudos to Jace for, for being able to weather that from yeah. me, you know, for me to just be like, I'm buying a one-way ticket. I don't know when I'm going to come back and I'm not necessarily inviting you along. Maybe we'll see each other. I don't know, but, wow. but bye. And the fact that, I don't know, he, he stuck around with that. And we did end up, on my first long stay in Japan, which happened kind of at the end of 2015 when I was in Osaka for a couple of months, you know, Jace did come over and join me for that. And, yeah. and that was like, we refer to that trip as Osaka 1.0, where that was probably like a low point of our relationship where, where, you know, we were in a really tiny little Japanese apartment and having to like work through a lot of pain that had happened up to that point. But then after that, like, then it was kind of smooth sailing, to be totally honest. Like, after we kind of sat through that and worked through that, then then things got a lot better and a lot easier. How would you have done the conversation differently? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. How would I have done it differently? 
probably just a much longer lead up to that decision making, right? You know, probably bringing in Jason wasn't my only other partner at the time. You know, I had other partners as well, but like maybe more bringing people into again, not necessarily the like, I need to ask for your permission, but more of a like, I need to prime the pump by talking about, I'm thinking about doing this. I want to share my thoughts and feelings about this. I want to hear your thoughts and feelings about this first before we start talking about logistics. How would that work? You know, like maybe doing some more work of bringing in my partners and maybe being more vulnerable about like, this is why I'm thinking about doing this. This is what I'm craving. This is what I'm longing for. Like, this is what I'm hoping to achieve. Like, this is what I'm dreaming for in doing this. And and would their thoughts of feelings potentially change your decision or is that more of like a validation thing? That's a good question. I don't know. I don't know. I mean... Because as soon as you know if they're going to be devastated, mm-hmm. like that's a new pressure. That's a new like variable to like, do I buy this ticket? To be fair though, you know, one of my other partners at that time, he was very supportive. You know, when I when I talked about it, he's like, that, that sounds great. Like, I absolutely love that for you. I think you really need that. And he was also upfront about like, I don't really want to be doing the long distance relationship thing. Sure. You know, and so I think that when you go, like, that's probably going to be it as far as like this form of our relationship. And I didn't really believe him at the time, or maybe it was a little bit of wishful thinking. And so even after I started traveling, like I still was trying to like text him, you know, and kind of keep things going. And he kind of had to be a little bit more clear again in a totally kind way. He was not a jerk about it at all of just like, I'd rather kind of stay disconnected here while you're traveling. Um And so that, even kind of knowing that heading into it, that didn't necessarily change my choice, right? I was really sad about it. I would have preferred to keep that relationship around. But I don't know. There was a part of me that also just like, I really just need to do this. So. Mm. And now you all have been doing multi for seven years now. Does that sound right? It will be Eight. eight years in August. Mm-hmm. of this year yeah yeah i knew we were both very close i'm, I'm eight years uh mm-hmm. this weekend uh, oh we, congratulations we, yeah. we're fuck, i yeah but mine i still feel like is easier than yours i you're y'all are a topic-based show yes. i do not know how y'all still come up with new topics and remixes and uh and audibles on something old yeah, i do not know how it, y'all have done that for this many episodes it's really funny that you say that because i think we were probably about I want to say anywhere three to six months into recording the podcast when Emily was the one who was like, I don't know how much further we can take this. <laughs> like, like, I feel like we might be scraping the bottom of the barrel soon, you know, like how much further can this go? And then here we are eight years later because the we thing did is jealousy. That, we did Google calendars. Right, exactly. I mean, and we did threesomes. What, right. what, what, else, what else is there? Is there? <laughs> what else could there possibly be? But I do think, You know, there was a turning point because fairly early on in the development of the show as well, within the first couple of years, you know, Emily became monogamous. Emily decided to to be monogamous with her partner. And and so we did have a lot of conversations about that, about like, do we talk about on the show? How open are we about that? And we ultimately decided like it's still valuable to have multiple perspectives, right? Even if we're talking about mostly polyamory related things. But I do think that that was just one step on a bigger journey that we've been on of continuing to broaden the show to be less about, we need to make special polyamory advice for special polyamorous people and more about bringing in a lot of different relationship topics and just trying to be as inclusive as possible of all kinds of different types of relationships. Just, 
if you do relationships differently. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 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 I'm just dropping small uh, fucking multi-inside jokes. Um, yeah. But that's the thing, though, is that like relationships, though, I mean, and I'm afraid of being quoted on this, but it's it's almost kind of like a recession-proof thing, right? It's like no matter what's going on in the world, people are still in relationships yeah. and still having to figure it out. Like it's pretty fundamental. And so I don't know if we can hit the bottom of that barrel. I mean, I don't know. I don't know your your download numbers, what they were like, but uh, you know, dating podcast recession proof, not necessarily not pandemic necessarily. proof. Not necessarily when, pandemic proof. When people proof, can't date fuck around, oh boy, yes. do they become interested in this shit a little less? <laughs> yes. Yeah, we, we yeah, we definitely found that. That like we did take a hit with with um pandemic yeah. download numbers for sure, which is totally understandable, right? Yeah. Like yeah, totally get it. Yeah, but and, and, still, then it, cr- it created a whole different crop of relationship <laughs> problems, right? Like dating, oh, like yeah, dating and hooking up and finding new partners specifically, people were less interested in that. But yeah. having to navigate the stuff you're navigating at home with your live-in partner or with your partner who you can't see because we're on lockdown, like that's all new territory to have to navigate as well. Yeah. And, and now that, you know, you, you've got your book, you know, The Smart Girl's Guide to Polyamory, and then y'all are, uh, have another book that's going to be, yeah, y'all just have like, you know, in the works, we'll say. Mm-hmm. Uh, how does that, how does that affect your like identity when you are out dating <laughs> new people? Like, you know, it's one thing when someone like looks you up, it's like, oh, they have a podcast about it. I mean, you wrote a book. Uh-huh. You wrote what I've heard some people say is the book. Whoa. Right. So then it's like, is it intimidating to date you? I mean, definitely something that I found in this most recent relationship that just ended was, you know, because he and I met when I was in the middle of writing the manuscript for my first book and was talking to him about it a lot. And he read my book and and things like that. And I was very conscious of the fact and I still try to be conscious of the fact of like, I really didn't want to be the only source on how non-monogamy functions Mm -hmm. like i I don't want to be i don't want to be the expert right it's like even in the microculture of a relationship i don't want to be a coach and a partner yeah i mean i'm happy to answer questions and i'm happy to talk about what this means to me and what i try to practice but i don't want to be the authority like i really want people to seek out other opinions other voices that are not mine and yeah, because I mean, that can just rope in so many things like that can rope in a power dynamic, right? Like mm-hmm. I could really lean into I'm the expert, I figured this out. And so that means like, you can't question me or you can't, I can just tell you this is how this is supposed to go and you have to do it. And so trying to be very, very conscious of that. Um, so I, I think it is, it's just added another thing to be conscious of for me in dating people. Um, my favorite moment, though, <laughs> and this moment is a little bit selfish, but there was someone that I was dating a couple of years ago where we'd probably been dating for about a year. And then suddenly, you know, uh, like the situation was like his ex kind of came out of the woodworks and wanted to rekindle things, but she really was not into non-monogamy. It really didn't like me, you know? So he suddenly kind of had a little bit of a choice, right? Mm-hmm. Of uh, do I rekindle with the monogamous ex or do I stay with the polyamorous person? And he told me that he kind of joined some polyamory groups online and was like asking for some like, like explain the situation did not include my name, you know, like kept everything anonymous, explain the situation. 
and people were like, you should check out this book by Dedeker Winston. This ah! one called <laughs> 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 um, uh, and it's a little bittersweet, right? Because again, bitter in the sense that I'm like, oh, I don't want to be the expert. I don't want there to be this sense of like, I'm right you're wrong. You know, you have to listen to what I say, but it was also kind of validating the moment to be like, yeah. hmm, interesting. Mm-hmm. That's another book sale logged. Uh, right. you know, but the, <laughs> exactly. there's, I think there's something about, you can be an expert and not um, infallible, especially mm-hmm. in something, you know, this isn't physics, right? So I think that's yeah. something where you can be an expert. You're not always right, but you are certainly more informed than others, uh, or at least informed enough. You were able to kind of organize it into book form. Yes. Yeah. Without be without being I uh, a bunch of uh, is it a bunch of first person essays or is it like a guide kind of book? It, it kind of a combination of both. Okay. Right? Cool. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. And to be totally honest, I have not really been actively dating or seeking partners right. probably in like three ish years now, maybe four years or so. Mm-hmm. Um. So I I don't know. Because obviously the podcast has grown since then, like book sales have continued. We're about to have another book come out. And I've just been um, really reticent about potentially dating someone who already has a parasocial relationship with me because I, I think that it makes things complicated. Sure. Absolutely. You know? I know for me, uh, I, fi- I find that if I sleep with someone who listens to the show and we stop sleeping together, they also tend to stop listening to the show. Well, uh, and then there's that. <laughs> don't want to sleep your way out of downloads. You know, exactly. that can be an issue at some point. Uh-huh. Uh, but you don't just have multi-amory. You also have a show, Drunk Bible Study, oh my goodness. Uh, yes, that I, I know do. you're very passionate about. Do you want to yes. tell us a little bit about that? Yes. So Drunk Bible Study... I- an offshoot. I can't say that it's an offshoot of multi-amory. It's not even really a spinoff. The only thing in common is the fact that the hosts are the same. That all started because so I was raised as a conservative evangelical Christian. Mm-hmm. And here I am today. That's a whole story, you know, getting from point A to a point B. Big um, bowl of French vanilla with a hint of sriracha. Yes. yes. Jace almost went to seminary back in the day, also had a Christian upbringing. Emily was raised staunchly atheist by a staunchly atheist mom, like very specifically wanted her daughter to be raised atheist. And so there were, we just noticed there was a lot of cultural things because of like the Bible and, and Christianity is so baked into American culture. And there were so many things that Emily was just like completely baffled by. Right. (laughs) And so I don't know. We just thought like, what an interesting experiment to just read the Bible together, but read it not like we're trying to understand it, not like we're trying to understand religion, not like we're necessarily trying to get something out of it, but literally the same way that you would have like, we're going to have a book club where we read Game of Thrones. And mm. when we're reading Game of Thrones, we're not going to stop and debate, do dragons really exist? We're going to be like, oh, interesting. The author chose that. Or I didn't really like that that piece of writing. Oh, that was a wild scene. Like, oh my goodness, what do you think is going on here? Almost more like in this gossipy kind of way and then have beers at the same time because that's how we deal with the religious PTSD at the end of the day. <laughs> so, so, so yeah, so the show is basically since 2018, we've been on this mission to read every single word of the Bible, whether we like it or not. And literally just take it at face value. You know, in my Christian upbringing, there was 
a lot of messaging around like we just got to get the Bible into people's hands. You know, all these charities, all this effort put into like we just got to send Bibles to the super complicated, countries. old, outdated writing style. You know, if we just got it in yes. the undereducated people's hands, they'll get it. They'll get it, right? Or the Gideons. You know, every single year the Gideons would show up to my high school handing out copies of of the Gospels. You know, like there's this assumption of like the text itself is is powerful enough. That's, you know, that might be all that people need to at least get them in the door. And so for me, it is this interesting experience of like, so if we don't have this text being interpreted by a pastor or by a priest, what do we get out of it? And what we get out of it is some freaking hilarious shit. Let me tell you. <laughs> like, yeah. So so it's fantastic. So we, we started doing live streams of the show uh, during the pandemic where we started mm-hmm. live streaming um, every single Thursday. And We've just got this like fantastic audience that shows up every week of people from all across the board. A lot right. of, you know, um, former Christians, ex-evangelicals, but also some people who like legitimately like went to seminary or are actual Bible scholars who are just really interested. And they're the ones in the chat who are like, oh, well, like this word, like the Vulgate says this, and this is what it is in the Hebrew. Um, but then they're also okay to roll along with like our dick jokes that come up, you know, as we're reading. So and are you me, going in order or are you jumping around? So we've changed order a couple times. Like we started out trying to do a quote unquote chronological order based on like when the book itself was written in time. Uh, sure. And that threw us into the book of Job right away. And that was just like a real bummer. And so <laughs> we then switched and now we're following the Jewish order. Um and we're almost halfway. Like we're going to okay. hit the New Testament pretty soon. Um, wow, there's a big new character in that oh, one. Oh yes, hear. yes. Yeah. <laughs> Emily is so excited for Jesus to show up. Like, <laughs> she's like, I've heard a lot about this guy. Yeah, I can't yeah. wait to meet him. <laughs> I hear he's coming back. But it's so fun, and and like I don't know, it's like so completely the opposite of of multi amory, which is like very measured and very researched yeah. and very produced and very put together. Drunk Bible study, we literally just show up with beers and we're like, what's going to happen today? Who knows? <laughs> Love it. Uh, well, Dedeker, uh, quick question, because I don't know how you are in time. Do you have like an extra 10, 15? I thought maybe you'd talk about the couples therapy with mom if you got the time. Yes, that'd be great. Patreon people, you'll hear that tomorrow. Dedeker, where for now can people go to find you, find your work? Yeah, so people can go to DedekerWinston.com. That's where you can find information about the book. That's where you can find information about coaching. Or you can go to MultiAmory.com to connect with the podcast. Or you can go to DrunkBibleStudy.com. If you Google any of those things independently, as long as you spell it right, you'll find us. Yeah, and if you're not too drunk reading the Bible, you should do a decent job spelling. Uh, (laughs) Well, Dedeker, thanks so much for uh, chatting with us. And why don't you go ahead and say goodbye to everybody. All right, thank you so much for having me. If there are any multi-fan whores listening, hey, we've got a great fun Discord server too. I'm in both servers, uh, so come on over. Join Fan Whore Nation in the Champagne Room, jump in the episode discussion channel, and let us know what you thought about my conversation with Dedeker. Learn something new about her you didn't know? Hey, come on in. Let's talk about it. Uh, you know, hey, we also got channels about you know your pets, sex toy recommendations, kink, wellness, politics, and more. Introduce yourself today at manwhorepod.com slash discord. Of course, I'd love to hear what you thought about this week's episode on social media. If, you, if you're brave enough to claim the Man Whore Podcast to your friends and family, 
Uh, you don't forget to tag me. I'm on Twitter at the Billy Presida. I'm on Instagram at Billy is Presida. And if anyone knows the address of whoever is squatting on at Billy Presida on Instagram, like I will pay money for that address so I can go. So I can have Uncle Joe Vito go have a conversation with this person, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Folks, if you're also freaking out about abortion rights in this country, I've got some links in the show notes to hold you over for now. And, uh, and, and we may be talking about it on a future episode. Did you love my conversation with Dedeker so much you want to learn more about her? Yeah, she's in couples therapy with her mom. And we talked all about it exclusively on Patreon. You can gain access to that bonus episode as well as over 200 other bonus episodes at patreon.com slash podcast. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash podcast. Gosh, I hope you all get off this weekend and have a grand old time. I hope someone jerks the thing. I, I hope someone sucks that spot right. I, ho- I hope someone tickles that armpit place that you dig. I hope you discover a sexy story at audiodesires.com that really makes your bum wiggle. Whatever is going to get it going for you this weekend, I hope, I hope it does. I hope you have a happy one. Especially Jacob, whoever the fuck you are. <laughs> Stay slutty. It's the vibrator that has no equal. And now, Motor Bunny offers their thrusting sex machine, the Motor Bunny Buck. Enjoy a fan whore discount at manwhorepod.com slash motorbunny or use promo code manwhore at checkout.